Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. Today we're talking about Reasons for God, Part 5, no less, Sean Mueller. Yeah, so uh, we were doing this memory aid called Jumped, J-U-M-P-E-D. I've got uh, two letters or two arguments for each letter. We're going to be speaking about J for a recap of Jews and Jesus and get into U, Universal Church. So it's going to be just kind of showing that faith is not a blind leap, but it's a leap into the light. This is the truth. We'll see you soon. Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, I am your host today, Peter Karutz, and we're on the li- we're on the radio live here at St. Joseph Radio Presents in St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West, and we are with Sean Miller. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Yeah, and and we never give you any introduction. So you're the DRE over at uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary in New Melly. In New Melly, mm-hmm. you got to pick a bag to get out there. But what <laughs> it's, a, not that it's a beautiful parish. It, it really is. is. Yep. And and you go there, you can. Uh, the, the, Pastor is a great guy, and there's this uh, German butcher over there who I have to, <laughs> I have to spend all my money at. But you, you do a great job over there. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, we got a great program today. It's Reasons for God. And uh, let, me just, let me just tell you, uh, you know people who don't believe in God. You know people who, you know, when we say we believe in God, we believe in God like we believe the sun is going to come up in the east mm-hmm. and it's going to set in the west. It isn't just this, this crazy. But, but when, when you talk to people who don't, man— you got to start at, at some common point with them. You yeah. can't just hit them in the, over the head with a Bible or something, right? <laughs> so we're going to get into it. Sean, this is part five, so <laughs> yeah. we know he's been here before. And uh, Sean is always good because he gives us a way to remember what we're learning. That's right. So I've been uh, using the memory aid JUMPED, J-U-M-P-E-D. So each of those letters stands for various reasons or arguments for God, so to speak. So uh, the last time we gathered, we talked about the letter J, which was the argument from the Jews and the argument from Jesus. But we didn't get really a chance to finish the uh, argument from Jesus, which is the greatest so-called evidence for God. I mean, you think about it, we say, I believe in God. We say that every creed, every time we we, we pray the rosary. So uh, it's good to say not just the what, but the why. we got to kind of know why we believe to make it more of a rational belief system. This isn't just superstition or naive, you know, credulity. I think about recently, you know, Pope Benedict XVI recently passed, and he was the Pope of, of reasonable faith. Faith needs reason, reason needs faith. So this, this memory aid jumped you know, it's kind of a play on the word leap. You hear about faith. Oh, it's a leap of faith. And most people kind of think in the modern world, it's a blind leap. It's wishful thinking. It's an emotional comfort zone, you know, but it's like, no, you know, we're not leaping into the dark or blindly. We're really leaping into the light. And that's why we kind of need reasons to kind of show that this is not just some kind of a of a blind jump, and I hope it to be so. It's one based upon reasons, and that's what we're kind of going through now. So within this talk itself of jumped, I'm going to be speaking about, again, 
about Jay, Jesus, we're going to continue on from last time, and then about you, the universal church, so the church that Christ founded, so Jay and, and you, and I'm going to have a memory aid for those for reasons for belief in the resurrection of Jesus, which is going to be Easter, E-A-S-T-E-R, and then uh, for the church is going to be Thumb. If you're going to hitchhike and stick your thumb out to uh, some vehicle to get you to the eternal realm, uh, the church is the great way. So I'm going to have reasons for each of those letters, T-H-U-M-B. So so that's where we're at. And uh, so let's um, jump into it, shall we? Maybe we should begin with a prayer. Yeah, you, you are right on track. <laughs> or, please, would you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, amen. you know all the people that need to hear this. You know for all of us who need to be strengthened. We just pray for your spirit to um, give us ears to hear and hearts to kind of follow. Lord, show us the way to the truth. Bless all those who uh, hear these words, present, future, anoint our conversation today. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the, the Father, Father Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So it's interesting. I, I thought of this. Um, now, ponder this. I wonder what Jesus would say to an individual, let's say a skeptic, in his own day or in modern times, if he was asked, so uh, tell me, uh, why do you think God exists? Mm. If, if the Lord was asked the question. And, and, and I thought, okay, you know, that's very interesting. Now, my, my first impulse would be, he would say, do you not notice everything? <laughs> but then I think to, maybe he would, he would say like the woman at the well, I who speak to you am he. You know, when you think about when we're going to get into the evidence for God, the God become flesh is going to be the greatest evidence. But kind of to start off first, let's just kind of recap what we did last time. So we said the argument from the Jews, I mean, the Jews are history's biggest public miracle. You know, by every known law of human history, they should have been wiped out. And it's interesting, scary to ponder since their inception when God chose them, they've been trying to be wiped out from the face of the earth. You know, but here, here they are. They're really like uh, against all odds. They exist, and it can, it can be asked in a humorous way: Why do we all know someone named David, but we don't have a buddy named Goliath? You know, <laughs> there are still Davids among us. They're they're signed. Now think about what the Jews did for the world. You know, this small mustard seed of a group. You know, this desert nomad tribe. And, and what they brought to the world. You know, uh, you think about in terms of human civilization, giving us the Ten Commandments, sharing their, their light, you know, how out of God to choose the Jews, but being his chosen people, look at what they, they did in terms of like half the world today believes in the God of the Jews. You know, over two billion Christians, over a billion Muslims, you know. Uh, we, we talked about the gift and all the light that they brought with just the people themselves from their inventions, the science, but ultimately when we're talking about faith and morality, you know, just the Ten Commandments alone, uh, look at what that's done for the world. Now you can say, well, there are only two possible explanations. Either the Jews are responsible for their success or God is. The Jews claim in the Bible is that it is God's doing that God chose them and they are his chosen people. So basically, they didn't do it all by themselves. So their, their gift to the world, but really their ultimate gift, and that's where we kind of began into last time, was that the real shock is that here comes amongst these Jews a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He says he always existed. He says he's coming to judge the world at the end of the time. He did some crazy things from a worldly perspective to say that I can forgive sins. Now, from a Christian perspective, looking back 2,000 years, you would say, we would say this is the greatest gift the Jews ever gave the world. This is why God chose them, prepared them for ultimately to bear this 
definitive fruit, which is the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. So we'll say from a Christian perspective that this is not just the Messiah, but this is the Son of God. So we'll say the greatest gift of the Jews is to show us, to give us not just the Word of God in terms of on stone, but the Word of God made flesh in Christ. So the last time I spoke about, like, we don't just come up with this theory and say that's nice. I mean, in terms of when the Lord walked the earth, um, you got to look at all the people who were just shocked at what he did, what he said, how he went, how he acted. I mean, Peter Craft wrote this book called Jesus Shock. Mm-hmm. And Great book. It, it is all about all the wonders and amazements of the people. So, I mean, just like a quick summary of what we said last time, people were shocked, astonished at his teaching, his power over nature, his powers of healing, his power to drive out demons, his power to raise from the dead. I mean, they would say, who is this that went and see obey him? Who is this who claims to forgive sin? Who is this who claims to be the great I am? I mean, think about those I am statements, you know, when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. I am. And they pick up stones to throw him because they know what he's doing. He's equating himself with the divine name that God gave to Moses in the Exodus. He said Yahweh. That's blasphemy in their yeah. mindset, you know? So you're like, but he equates us. He accepts worship. And so it is obviously very shocking. It still is. You know, think about like um, a wire, an electrical wire, you know. He's a live wire. When you touch him, he, st- he still shocks you. He still shocks today. I mean, his name is still used. Like I say, if you bring up his name at a gathering, it, the tenor in the room changes. I mean, the Lord is still present. So no one made the question, what is the evidence for God more explicit than Jesus did? claiming to be God in the flesh, equating to himself the divine name, I am. So if if there is no God, then obviously Christ, who is the most admired man in history, is really the biggest fool. So everyone's got to really ask the question, answer the question that he said, who do you say that I am? You know, and so we're going to get into, well, there's really going to be three options, but we're going to hopefully go vote for the one that when he first asked the question, Peter said, well, you are the Christ the, the son, son of, of the, the living, living God. God. Yeah. yeah. So you're not are just the, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who the Jews had foretold would someday come and hoped would come, but you're also someone more so. You're the son of the living God. So really, that's the good news. I mean, we're supposed to be saying, okay, you know, we got this push, evangelize, spread the word. Well, really, at heart, what is it? You know, I, was, I think uh, the simplest way is say the good news is Christmas and Easter. First Christmas, God became flesh. That's a big deal. He showed us what the mind has in mind in person. And then the Easter, to confirm it all, he rose from the dead to say, okay, just in case, I want to show you something here. So Christians attest that Jesus of Nazareth was the visible sacrament of the invisible God. You know, in Colossians 1, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's going to be the Christian conclusion to these three options that I want to speak about briefly, which probably many of us have heard. I'm sure you've heard it. They are liar, lunatic, or Lord. I mean, some people can say he was either delusional, deceived, a deceiver, or divine. Yeah. Three Ds versus three Ls. He was also accused in his day of being diabolical. But really, this whole argument, you know, this is what C.S. Lewis popularized. It's the liar, lunatic, or Lord. It's the most po- important argument in Christian apologetics. So basically, once you accept the conclusion of, of this, if you accept that Jesus is, in fact, Lord, that he's not a crazy man or he's not a liar, then basically everything changes. 
he's he's the Lord of all, or, or not Lord at all. So I just want to briefly go through this argument, and just to uh, for those who may not have heard it, but uh, so basically it's this. Here's, here's a man who claims to be God. He either is or he isn't. If he isn't God, then he is a very bad man. He's not the one thing almost every non-Christian thinks he is, namely a good man, a prophet, a philosopher, Can't a rabbi. Yeah, somebody that you'd want to say, hey, uh, go to Sunday school and learn from him. Right? And yet, when you hear about Jesus spoken about in the public realm, he's not spoken of as this kind of a crazy man. You look at the Gospels, you know, here, here's one who is kind of humble and meek. He's He's, he's, he's wise. So C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. Now, it's interesting, you know, when you think about all of Christ's normal claims, again, how do you reconcile the fact that he also claimed this? A man who was merely a man and said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, C.S. Lewis says. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a man-mad or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, he has not left that op- that open to us. He did not intend to. So you think about, I mean, if he was a liar or a lunatic, I mean, obviously he doesn't have any of the characteristics in the Gospels of, of being kind of a crazed lunatic that should have been in an asylum, but maybe was he deceived? But you're like, wow, then he would have led, think of how many people he would have led to go down to their violent deaths. Right. No, nobody, nobody is going to die for a lie. Right, and so were they following this crazy man? And if, if, if he was this liar, though, it's like, look at all the people that gave their life. I mean, and he would lead them into idolatry, accepting him, you know, accepting him as Lord as opposed to the God of the Jews. So it's like, you know, you just can't kind of put him in terms of this con man type deal. It just doesn't add up. Now, when you get down to it, you know, one's belief stands or falls, not just with argumentation, but really the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I mean, like Paul said it clearly, if Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. So really, the faith starts there, it, it, it ends there, so to speak, in terms of like, if this fact is not a fact, then we're really to be pitied. So the Catechism speaks about how the resurrection above all constitutes the confirmation of all Christ's works and teachings. All truths Even those most inaccessible to human reason find their justification if Christ, by his resurrection, has given the definitive proof of his divine authority, which he had promised. So it's like that's very clear and forthright. Now you think about going back to like they were astonished. Now no one was expecting this to happen. You know, when 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 those like in in Mark it says when Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, when when they go and they go to the empty tomb, they're utterly amazed. You know, they, they were seized with trembling and bewilderment. This is something that Obviously, they saw Christ work miracles, you know, maybe with the resurrection of Lazarus, but like this whole thing of the tomb being empty and where is he at? And, and you know, it just strikes one as saying like, how could this be? Can this be? And I think about, for us, the shock should still be there. I mean, the resurrection is one of the greatest, most amazing, astounding things in the world to ever ponder. You know, it's like, but again, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. So it's the, really the biggest if in history. And like being here in uh, St. Louis, I remember a priest once joked, like if you go to, to the cathedral basilica 
And from the vantage point of the bishop's cathedra, the where we get the term, you know, his seat where he sits at, that if, if you look if you look kind of like a little bit to the right, there's this mosaic of the resurrection. And you know, it's the Lord appearing to Mary Magdalene. And then uh, under the scene is the words, if Christ is not risen, your faith is vain. But mm-hmm. you can't see the word if from the vantage point. Oh, of really? This. So it says. Christ is not risen, your faith is vain. Ooh. That's a big F if yeah. you don't see it. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting to ponder because we shouldn't take it for granted. You know, mm. this is something that still is there. Now, throughout history, a ton of people have tried to really question, like, is this really true? We're not in the realm of tooth fairy story here. We're in the realm of a claim of a historical fact. So there was a guy, um, Simon Greenleaf, he wrote a book called The Testimony of the evangelist, and he was the founder of the Harvard Graduate School of Law and one of the greatest authorities on evidence. When he was asked to put the New Testament to the test, he concluded that based upon the evidence, the resurrection is as established as any event you can find in history. So again, this one thing I think when we're talking about Jesus, you know, it's easy to kind of equate him with just these kind of wise gurus, People who are, you know, sages or trying to speak, you know, eloquent things to kind of like a Buddha or a Confucius, yeah. et cetera. But it's like, no, this is not the claim that we're making about Christ. We believe that something greater uh, was at play here, and it was really his resurrection from the dead. There you are. And this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and we're on live with Sean Miller, and we are part five of Reasons for God. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting, like... Um, you know, we all know that if you go online, it can be a cesspool of trying to sift through information. And between pro and con views, it can be a nightmare. So, um, you know, there's a couple of people I just want to recommend to you uh, to, to look at this issue. You know, granted, I mentioned Simon Greenleaf, but like there's a man named William Lake Craig, mm-hmm. who um, he's an evangelical Christian who does quite a bit of debating, which, you know, I think people like that. They, they, they like the kind of the, the back and forth of it. Josh McDowell, uh, Gary Habermas, Dr. Brant Petrie, he's he's a Catholic writer. He wrote a book called The Case for Jesus. But, you know, probably, uh, oh, yeah, there's also N.T. Wright. They've got great works on the resurrection and kind of showing the historical evidence and its influence and whatnot. But probably I would say the most popular read today, or really the video, if you haven't watched the movie The Case for Christ, uh, that's just outstanding. It really is. I mean, Lee Strobel was a Chicago atheistic journalist who tried to put the resurrection to the test. It really began for him. Like he was looking like, hey, where do I start? He wasn't trying to prove it. He was trying to <laughs> right, disprove yeah. it. That's true. Because his wife, his wife believed, and he thought it was it was just a bunch of you know hocus pocus stuff. So he set out, where do I start? And they said the resurrection, because that's where the faith stands or falls. Fall. So it's not just about feelings for him. He wanted the facts. He eventually came to faith, but then the dilemma is to follow, right? And that's kind of for all of us, too. So um, I have a little quick memory aid here. Just if you look at, if you try to kind of summarize the arguments historically and uh, practically, consequentially, what happened after the resurrection, it's Easter, E-A-S-T-E-R-E, empty tomb. A, the appearances of Jesus after his death, you know, sometimes to 500 at a, at a time, not just then, but also throughout history. You know, we also believe in A, of apparitions of Jesus throughout throughout history too. S, the Shroud of Turin, you know, uh, it's like a tangible relic 
It's almost as if Christ gave us a uh, piece of a resurrected cloth 1,900 years before photography was even invented. Again, there's a whole study there. T, transformation of the apostles. Look at what they did. They went from this guy's locked up in a, in a room and, a, and afraid to go out and to die as martyrs for the faith. The eyewitness testimonies, specifically of the women who testified to seeing Christ, which at the time was an odd fact recorded in the scriptures because women's testimony wasn't given credibility. So it kind of marks, this wasn't just a made-up story. They're kind of telling Telling it as it is, and then the rise of Christianity. So E A S T E R. Last one is is the rise. And we just want to speak about two of those. Um, T and R. So T, the transformation of the apostles. Now, if you haven't listened to Jennifer Fulwiler, she's a great um, comedian speaker, and she's a comedian too. Yeah. Now, yeah, but uh, she's got a uh, a conversion story about from atheism to Catholicism. And she said that she uh, one of the first parts of, of kind of breaking the ice for her to be open to faith, because she was an atheist her whole life, was that she read Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, she said that she went into this bookstore, and it's almost like she was kind of like zoned in, like this thing was kind of calling to her, and she went right there and saw it and picked it up, and she began t- to read it. Now, she said that it obviously just didn't, in a, in a flash, convert her, but it made her start thinking ab- about things. And she said that one of the things that really surprised her was the influence of... The Jewish men, and the, not just the followers of Christ, but all like these disciples and people who, who would, you know, they, they were part of a tradition for, for thousands of years, were following a certain way. And to walk away from that, to follow this itinerant preacher, something had to be significant to make them change. You just don't leave the nest of home and your tradition and your faith, you know. Um, and we all know how that's difficult in any faith that you're in to leave it to go pursue something else because you're the family shame or whatnot. So, um, and then to be able to die for their beliefs. So she goes, okay, what, what happened? So even atheists, she says, had to admit that something explosive happened in the first century Palestine. And that one theory is, of course, that in fact these people did see Jesus rise from the dead. That would change you, right? So I always think about... Um, if you've ever watched the Duck Dynasty <laughs> series and that Phil Robertson, he's kind of like a preacher on the side or I don't know. But he, he always gives this great line. He goes, if you travel back in time from 2,000, 1,500, 1,100 to zero, what event happened so that now we even mark our time back to this event? It must have been something pretty big. So you think about Christ split time in two. Yeah. And that was the resurrection. So again, how do you explain the rise of Christianity if the resurrection didn't happen? It would be a greater miracle to perpetuate this hoax. What can make so many devout Jews change, right? So remember, all the first converts were, were Jews. Sure. You know, and then only after that, I mean, Christ said he came from the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But after that, then it goes out to the Gentiles. So I always love, if you haven't read the book, Honey, uh, Honey from the Rock by Roy Shoman, it's about, you know, Jews who found the fullness of faith in Catholicism. One of the guys in the book, David Moss, he is a... Uh, Local guy. Yeah, and he's the president of the Association of Hebrew Catholics. And, um, and he has a famous sister. Yes, Rosalind Moss. Who's right? a sister. Sister Miriam of the Lamb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure where she's at now, but... Uh. but um, David, one time, I don't know if this was a talk I heard, but he told this story, and I, I just thought it was really fitting to kind of mark a transition in this next point. He said, um, there was a Jewish father whose son was approaching bar mitzvah age, and he didn't know much about his heritage and his people and his faith. So he sent him to Israel to learn. And his son came back a year later and says, Father, thank you for sending me to the land of our fathers. It was so wonderful and enlightening. 
However, I must tell you that while I was in Israel, I became a Christian. Oy vey, replied the father. What have I done? So in the traditions of the patriarchs, he went to his best friend and sought his advice. His friend said, you know, it's amazing that you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel, and he too became a Christian. Oh, let's go to the rabbi. In the tradition of the patriarchs, he goes to the rabbi, and they tell the rabbi. And the rabbi says, it's amazing that you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel, and he too became a Christian. What is happening to our sons? So they went and they knelt down on the floor of the synagogue and poured out their hearts and called on the Almighty to explain what was happening to their sons. Suddenly the clouds parted, and a loud voice from heaven came down. It's amazing that you should come to me. I too <laughs> sent my son to Israel. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well, the point being, right, you know, so Jesus comes from the Jewish heritage. Sure. But he's also, in the sense, right, when we say Christian, he is the anointed one. You know, he is the anointed Messiah, but he's something more, right? He's the son of the living God. People converted because they saw him, not just as the Jewish Messiah, but as the son of the living God. So it's, it was the resurrection that, that did it. You know, Christianity without a resurrected Jesus is like a car without an engine. It just doesn't go anywhere. But, I mean, for us, th- this is what I wish that uh, other non-Catholic, devout Christian faiths would would you know look into the historical evidence from as well as that post resurrection appearances you know it, it, they after the first century there was also you know we've got visions and apparitions of Christ throughout history many yeah. I mean think about just in our modern time in, in the 1930s Saint Faustina I mean the Lord appears to her think of Saint Catherine of Siena Saint Francis of Assisi you know the Lord appeared to Mother Teresa and Padre Pio so these are like you know beautiful things it shows that Jesus is still alive. You know, he's he still is. experienced. Yeah. Well, let me let me give our uh, listeners a little clue. We're we're actually going to skip our break today, uh, and just to tell you about some things that are going on. So uh, we'll we'll interrupt uh, sure. Sean's uh, talk right now. So let me just go through a few, and uh, if you don't have your pencil and paper out, uh, use your phone or something. <laughs> but let me tell you about a few things that are going on here in St. Louis. Uh, February 4th, which I think is next Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, our own Sean Miller is going to be giving a talk at St. Cletus Catholic Church. It's at 9 a.m. It follows the 8 a.m. Mass. And it is called Faith and Science. Uh, the subtitle is Two Wings of Faith and Reason. Mm-hmm. You know, Pope uh, John Paul, Pope St. John Paul, said faith and reason are like yeah. two wings of a dove. I mean, it makes perfect sense that one would support yeah. the other, right? Yeah. So that that is something not to be missed. Again, St. Cletus Catholic Church, that's in St. Charles at 9 a.m. next Saturday. Mark it down. We have several more. <laughs> so then we have another one on Sunday, Sunday. Uh, uh, the February 12th. February 12th. Thank you. That's at our parish, St. Macarta Mary. Well, there you are. <laughs> and it's a talk by Dr. Kenneth Howell. He's a former Presbyterian minister and theologian, and he's going to be talking about the Eucharist, I think. Right. You know, we're supposed to be, or we, we are in the, uh, like, a two-year Eucharistic revival. Which sometimes we don't hear much about Saint, uh, here in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always in need of... Um, encouragement, love, and understanding and depth of, of uh, the Lord's presence to us in the Eucharist. So Dr. Ken Howell uh, got an amazing story. He was at one point, just briefly, 
uh, on his journey to, to Catholicism was actually shot in the throat. It went through and and went through really? and, and um, pierced his vocal cords. He didn't know if he would ever speak again, talk wow. again. He was lucky to survive, but then he he said when he woke up and you know he was on, on the road to recovery, like Lord, I'm going to spend the rest of my life speaking and praising your name. And he, and he, he still is. This is 20, that was like 25 years ago. Wow. Well, yeah. that's February 12th, and it's following the 10 a.m. Mass, so maybe that'll work out. Go yeah. out to, Saint, um, to New Melly at Immaculate Heart uh, Parish, Immaculate Heart of Mary Parish, February 12th, following the 10 a.m. Mass. Uh, it'll start about 1130 and go to 1230, and I think they're even going to feed, donut, feed you donuts mm-hmm. there and coffee. Oh, yeah. All right, February 11th, That's I guess. The day, the that day would before. be the day before. We're <laughs> going to keep you, keep you busy here. Uh, day before. That is at Immaculate Conception, ICDS. And that is going to be four speak, uh, three speakers. Uh, that is uh, at 9 a.m., begins at 9 a.m. with Dr. Kenneth Howell. Uh, and then you have doc, uh, Father Michael Lamp. And finally, at 11.15, there's Father Anthony Week. Uh, and his, he's a he's a Jesuit. I think he's a young guy, isn't he? Yeah, he does um, at the he gives White House retreats yeah. too frequently. You hear about him a lot. He is he is fantastic. So again, that's sort of a good morning, if you will, uh, on February 11th at ICDS. Begins at nine, uh, ends with a talk. Uh, following the talk at 11:15, you'll love it. That's February 11th. So then we have February 18th. Please mark your calendar. I've been working on this project for a long, long time. It's Catholic Men for Christ uh, live. It's going to be at St. Louis, uh, St. St. Louis High School, St. Louis U High School. Yeah. Uh, it begins about eight eight thirty or so and goes about half a day. It's it, there are wonderful speakers, um, and it's it's a half day retreat. It's a wonderful time to reflect with another thousand or fifteen hundred men who are really trying to be better men. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions about that, you can call the studio as well. You can call a studio about any of these. And then, of course, we have Catholic Man of the Year, which is on March 19th. Uh, look, what we need to do now is look for some good Catholic men, and you know them, and let's get a nomination in for them. Your parish can sponsor them, your Catholic organization. If you call 636-447-6000, I'll repeat that later on, you can get an application and, um, and, and, uh, and, and nominate him. Look, one thing I can guarantee you, if you have a good Catholic man that sh- certainly should be nominated, they'll say, no, I don't want it. Well, that just shows they're probably a good Catholic man. <laughs> so don't take no for an answer. We need more good examples of men living their Catholic life. Again, so that's on March 19th, but the bigger important date is February 11th coming up. Let's get your nominations in. I think we've covered it. All right. Yeah. More than a two-minute break. That's why we cut it out. So we are here live (laughs) in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. This is St. Louis Presents, and we are talking with Sean Miller on Reasons for God, Part (laughs) 5. And the acronym yeah. is JUMPED. We're working on Easter right now. <laughs> well, we're JUMPED. We're on J. We're almost we're at the end of J. I'm getting into you. I just want to say a few closing comments about just what we were speaking about with, there with we Jesus. Are. So, I mean, number one, he's still experienced. He, he, he left the spirit, uh, the spirit with us. I mean, he ascended, so he's not geographically located, so to speak, in a, in a place in Jerusalem. But he's, his presence pervades. I mean, he left us not as orphans. We've got sacraments. We've got uh, liturgies. We've got prayer. We've got 
you know, faith, hope, and love. But I just want to really encourage people to use the gift that separates us from animals, right? We have an intellect. We've got a soul. We've got a mind. And so there's great resources to really study. The privileged place, of course, is the four Gospels, right? Sure. This is Christ's living word. In terms of from an apologetic standpoint, you know, Lee Strobel's got several books about the case for Christ, case for Easter, case for faith. I love this, that um, Mother Teresa, whenever she would travel abroad, she took one book with her, and that was Fulton Sheen's Life of Christ. It's a real devotional book. Um, We've obviously seen the movie The Passion, or many of us have. That was based upon a a series of um, books, Private Revelation and Catherine Emmerich. Those are kind of books to kind of that can help fill in the gap. You know, obviously all this is secondary to the main source, which is the Gospels, but even today, kind of a, a show that tries to fill in the gaps and use your biblical imagination of the person of Christ is the series The Chosen, which has really been a, a hit for many, uh, to really kind of let you see the personal Christ. It's good to to kind of see his interactions, but then to, to really pray about that, to get to know who this Jesus is. And in terms of uh, our great Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, I mean, I was reading about, you know, just some of his works, his legacy he's left for the church. He wrote that three-volume series called Jesus of Nazareth. It is really... Um, a beautiful testament to his whole life of scholarship. You know, I heard this great um, description of him. Pope Benedict had the mind of 12 philosophers. Easily. And he had the devotional heart of a child just about ready to receive their first Holy Communion. Yeah, clearly one of the greatest uh, theologians we have uh, of all time. But in the beginning, the preface of that book, uh, he says, look, these are, these are just my ideas. I'm just the theologian. That's what I've done for a living all my life. Mm-hmm. Disagree with me, agree with me, but please read the gospel. Anyway. <laughs> right. You know, now that's humility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the really Pope, is. no less. Yeah. Yeah, great series of books. You know, in uh, in the first volume of the series, he said, uh, he asked the question, you know, like, people thought when Christ would come, he would bring about this, you know, like the second coming, this universal prosperity. That was one of the reasons why they say that uh, the Lord wasn't first recognized as the Messiah, because he didn't bring about a sense of universal peace. So he says, Pope asked the questions, what did Jesus actually bring? If he did not bring a better world or universal prosperity, he said the answer is very simple. He's brought God. He has brought God, and now we can know his face. Now we can call upon him. Now we know the path that we human beings have to take in this life, in this world. Jesus has brought God and with God the truth about our origin and destiny, faith, hope, and love. It is only because of our hardness of heart that we think this is too little. That's just a beautiful thing. And you think about, well, then, what, what else did, did the Lord bring? In, in a sense, he, he brought, this is where we get into the letter U, the universal Catholic Church. I mean, he brought his body physical, and it also forged a spiritual body in the, in the apostles and his mystical body we call the church. So we're going to look at the church's existence, its history, its persistence. You know, just like if you think about the existence of the Jews, it continues on. You know, Christ never really intended to found a new church, but to fulfill the ancient one. So you think about just how the, the the world religion began, you know, with Adam, Noah, Abram, Moses, David, Jesus. You got a marriage, a household, a tribe, a nation. Under David, you got a national kingdom. And then under Jesus, the new David, the new Abram, the new Noah, the new Adam, the new Moses, you've got this universal kingdom. This universal family of God, we call it the church. I mean, the word universal, that's what the word Catholic means. You know, so Christ comes to restore the lost tribes of Israel in the kingdom that was lost after David. But his intent was to reach out to the whole world, go forth and announce it to all nations, right? 
So that's what Jesus wanted to do. But then, you know, just go back to uh, briefly, you know, the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? We know that the first person to answer that was Peter, right? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. It's where we first see the words in the gospel, the word church, that this is going to be this kingdom family of, of God. So Jesus says, I will build not my church. Not like, hey, Peter, you're built like a rock. Here's some keys. Now go build a church. You know, it's, it's he's saying, I will build my church. So we got to think about this. This is Christ's church, not Peter's. So does this church still exist? It shows a historical link, you know, back to Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. So this is a this is a building that's gonna gonna stand, and it's gonna be forever linked to Peter. So you think about it, this is fascinating. You know, when Christ came, you know, he called Peter. He would preach from Peter's boat. He would make Peter's house his headquarters at Capernaum. You know, he would. He would send Peter to Rome, and then now we recognize Rome. You know, we call it the Roman Catholic Church because the church is headquartered at, at Rome un, under Peter. So it's it's an amazing thing to me. This is just interesting when you think about you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I mean, we actually see that if you think about what is the if someone thinks of the Catholic Church, what church stands out as the symbol of the Catholic Church? St. Peter's Basilica, right? And that's actually literally built on the bones. Of Peter, you know, you can take when you go to Rome. There's a scavitor, which means I think it means um, excavation, where basically they, they excavated. They all knew that the church was built upon the tomb of Peter, but they actually they are pretty confident that they have the actual literal bones there, which is a fascinating thing because Peter was crucified upside down, right around the location where St. Peter's is built, and probably the last thing he saw before his death was that obelisk that is now in the center of St. Peter's Square because that was that was in Nero's quote, his circus is what they called it. That's uh, where he would, you know, kill and and, and torture and, and um, crucify others. So there's a great thing. So we all probably heard of Bishop Barron's Catholicism series. And in, in one of the videos, he says this. He says, in April of 2005, Pope Benedict XVI was elected. He came out on the front loggia of St. Peter's. And then gathering around him came all these cardinals who had just elected him. The cameras caught the remarkably pensive expression of Francis Cardinal George of Chicago. When Cardinal George got home, the reporters asked him, you know, what were you thinking of as you were looking out from the loggia of St. Peter's? Here's what he said. He said, I was gazing over toward the Circus Maximus, toward the Palatine Hill, where the Roman emperors once reigned, when they looked down upon the persecution of Christians. And I thought, where are their successors? Where's the successor of Julius Caesar? Where's the successor of Marcus Aurelius? And finally, who cares? But if you want to see the successor, Peter, he's standing right next to me, smiling and waving at the crowd. Now, it makes me think of just about kind of the, the whole history. Like I said, we all have friends named David, but we don't have ones named Goliath. Is that the church has stood the test of time. So my, my second memory aid here is thumb. Time-tested, historically rooted, universally extended, miraculously confirmed, biblically foretold. If I'm going to stick my thumb out to hitch a ride on a on a vessel that's going to take me from time into eternity, this is one. So first time tested, right? Go back from the argument from the Jews. They've tried to wipe out the church like they did the Jews in the beginning, like they did of Christ. You think of all the 12, they basically died martyrs' deaths, you know, and then the early Christians. You know, if you said Christ our Lord, that was... That was a threat to Caesar's being Lord, and sure. you were under threat of death. Right. He had uh, that title, Son of God, right? Yeah. So for you to sit, I mean, we take it for granted when we say the Gloria, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord. You said that in the first century, you better watch out who you're saying around because, right. you know, if you didn't pinch incest to Caesar, you would possibly be, be killed. So it's like... And your family. Right. 
So it's almost like Peter Crave, he, he gave a talk called Seven Reasons to be Catholic. And he's like, why does the media hate the Catholic Church the most today? It gets all ramped up when the church speaks or whatever. And it's because like we're kind of like the new Jews in a sense. We're still speaking and saying, thus saith the Lord. We can't be assimilated. We can't be digested in the, in, in the, uh, in, in the world's stomach. So we're going to stand out there. You know, it's interesting, uh, later on in his talk that Dr. Kraft gave, you know, he said that, uh, you know, people have been trying to destroy the church all of its existence, but some of the worst battles come from within. You know, someone once said that, I'm going to destroy the church. And he said, don't worry about it. We've been trying to do that for 2,000 years, and we haven't been successful. But, um, you know, he says that the hypocrisy of Catholics is a very strong argument for the infallibility of the church. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even if the practice of the people and even some of the popes was horrible— the doctrinal content of the church remained pure and untainted. So that's really a reflection about, you know, like even Christ's own apostolic band, you know, one of those was a thief and committed suicide. There's always going to be scandal in the church. There's always going to be hypocrisy. But the fact that the Lord holds this together, when there's attacks from without within, is a sign. It really is. So like the next letter is historically rooted. So like, you know, we, we make our link back to the apostles, you know. I mean, and obviously it's a continuation link from what I said before, Adam, Noah, Abram, Moses, David, Jesus, is that we go back and we kind of trace our family line, so to speak, back to the first days. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named uh, Alex Jones, but he was, he's now a deacon in the church. He was a founder of a church, I think it was called the Holiness Church. And um, he was one time on the show, The Journey Home, with Marcus Brodine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and he was a convert. So, again, I think he founded his church back in the 80s. But um, he, he says this. I, I, I got to read this. Because on the show, it was just very funny. He says, he was, I look back at two promises of Christ when he left the church. The first promise was that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never destroy it. It will try, but it will never destroy it. That means that the church of Christ launched in the upper room will continue throughout history until his return. He says, now, if you find whatever that church was in the upper room, that's the church of Christ. He said, now, what church, what church goes back to the upper room? He says, my church didn't because I started it. And then they, they start to laugh. And then the guy said, oops. He goes, now, you got the starting dates for all the churches, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Baptist Church. He goes, now, I'm not against those churches. He goes, I love all the people that are striving. He said, but they all had a time when it began. None of them stretched back to the upper room. What is the church of the upper room? That is the church of Christ. That church has truthfulness. That church has perpetuity. That is the church with an unbroken line from the upper room. And he said, well, there's only one church that I know. That's it. And you think about today, I think Pope Benedict is, I'm sorry, Pope Francis is the 276th, 266th, I think, Pope from Peter in his unbroken line. I I think it's 276. That's an amazing uh, historical... Uh, witness, oh, if, if you could say. Yeah. So it, it traces its lines. So, so you got time-tested, historically rooted, and then universally extended. I mean, Christ said, go out to all the world. It's to be a light to the nations. We know that the Jews were a light to the nations, but in a sense, we're kind of carrying the torch, too, to try and be the light to the world. I mean, Peter Crafton in his talk said, um, when, he's, when, he, when, he, when you think about the church as being Catholic, that means it includes all. It's total. It means worldwide. G.K. Chesterton said, wouldn't it be a little strange for a Southern Baptist missionary to ask an outer Mongolian to become a Southern Baptist? It doesn't seem quite universal enough. Uh-huh. You know, so that's one of the beauties of the church is unity and diversity. It can enculturate the gospel, and it's spread throughout the whole world. Literally. 
Yeah, I mean, it truly is Catholic. So, like, you think about the four marks. When the first church finally came out to, to be able to define itself, it says it's one holy Catholic and apostolic. So it's rooted in history, and it's it's everywhere. So, again, that really fulfills the promise in Isaiah where he says, I will make you a light to the nations. And when Christ comes, he says, go out to the whole world. I mean, again, think about what the Jews gave to the world. But then think about what the church has done for the world. Her goodness, her beauty, her faith, her morals, her mission, right, her sacraments, all these things. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard about the group called Catholics Come Home, but they've done a series of commercials to kind of help show the beauty of the Catholic faith. And and there's this one called Epic. And I, I just want to read, there's a little excerpt from it here. He says, they just try to really show some of the beauty of the church. He goes, our family is made up of every race. We are young and old, rich and poor, men and women, sinners and saints. Our family has spanned the centuries in the globe. With God's grace, we started hospitals to care for the sick. We established orphanages to to help the poor. We are the largest charitable organization on the planet, bringing relief and comfort to those in need. We educate more children than any other scholarly or religious institution. We developed the scientific method and the laws of evidence. We founded the college system. We defend the dignity of all human life and uphold marriage and family. Cities were named after our revered saints who navigated a sacred path before us. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are transformed by sacred scripture and sacred tradition, which have consistently guided us for 2,000 years. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family sharing in the sacraments and fullness of the Christian life, for centuries we have prayed for you in our world every hour of every day whenever we celebrate the Mass. Jesus himself laid the foundation for our faith when he said to Peter, the first pope, You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. For over 2,000 years, we've had an unbroken line of shepherds guiding the Catholic Church with love and truth in a confused and hurting world. And in this world filled with chaos, hardship, and pain, it's comforting to know that some things remain consistent, true, and strong, our Catholic faith, and the eternal love that God has for all creation. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Ours is one family united in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I mean, that is beautiful. It is beautiful. And and you know what? Let's read that last line and put it to, to our hearts. If you have been away from the church, we miss you and we want you back. And if you know a friend who has been away from the church, invite him back. You know, sometimes all we need is an invitation. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Krutz, and we are talking about Reasons for God, Part 5, with Sean Miller. So we're on time-tested, historically rooted, universally extended, now miraculously confirmed. So, I mean, the existence of the church itself is miraculous. We should just, we, we could stop there and say it, it just is. And then her fruitfulness and stability, like there's a line in the Catechism that says that, so that the submission of our faith is nevertheless in accordance with reason, God will that external proofs of his revelation should be joined to the internal helps of the Holy Spirit. So you think about this is like why the resurrection confirmed whatever thing Christ said. It wasn't just taking his word for it. It's like, here's some external signs. (laughs) Here's the resurrection. So, So it goes on to say the church's growth and holiness, her fruitfulness and stability are motives of credibility which show that the ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. Now, we've got a lot of signs and wonders from that. I gave a whole talk on, on miracles, um, you know, and we're going to speak about that actually next time we get together. But, you know, you think about just the miracle existence of the church and all those who she, <coughs> excuse me, brought forth. I mean, if you want to judge Christianity, you got to look at, at 
at Christ, you know? Uh, and then you got to look at like, well, who are the Christians today? And so we'll say that these are the saints, you know, and examples of the good and the true and the beautiful. Now, who's, who's your favorite saint? Oh, boy. Uh, I will say I, uh, Pat, uh, Potter Colby. Father Colby? Or, um, oh, the Spanish saint. Um, Teresa of Avila? No, no, in the 20s. Oh, his name, Miguel Pro. Pro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would say Colby and Pro. Well, you know, if you look at their lives like all the saints, they are examples of goodness and truthfulness and beautiful. Think about, like, we've got in our history Aquinas and Augustine, this real intellectual Today's stuff. feast day. Yeah. <laughs> we've got, you know, think about just, like, the music of, like, Dr. Crave always talks about the music of Palestrina. It seems like music comes from this, um, you know, heavenly realm. So the, these, these saints are good. And what I always love about the Catholic Church is that, you know, for any person that is kind of being held up to be considered as a saint, there is a whole process called the canonization process where, like, we ask uh, signs from heaven to be miraculously shown through physical healings on earth to, to kind of attest that this person is, in fact, in heaven. So I just love that. But we've got this whole history of holy men and women, holy hall of fame, that kind of echo back to its founder, which, again, is another sign of God's love and presence in the world. Goes back to Christ, goes back to, to God. And this is all in the gift of the Spirit. So time-tested, historically rooted, universally extended, miraculously uh, confirmed, and then biblically foretold. So, you know, when we think about when Christ came, he came through a whole series of massive prophecies. You know, I mean, he was revealed in Matthew's gospel, son of Abraham, son of David. You think about the promises that God gave to Abraham. You know, he promised him land in, in uh, Genesis 15, kingdom, Genesis 17, worldwide blessing, Genesis 22. Those were filled through Moses and through David and then through Jesus. So Jesus comes as the ultimate son of David who's going to bring about this kingdom. And so you would expect if God would come on earth, he would be pre-announced. And so all these prophecies, you kind of see them in Scripture that kind of point to who Jesus was, where he'd come, where he'd be born, where he'd live, how he would die, etc. And so through prophecy and typology, we call it, all these things kind of should have said that, oh, here he is, he's, he's on the scene. But then I thought, you know, um, look at the church, that this too was prophesied in union with the Messiah. You know, you go back to what we said about you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church, is that you've got, that is an echo of Isaiah 22, where they're talking about this kingdom and the, the head of the kingdom has his prime minister who he gives his authority, his key, so to speak. So now here's Jesus, son of David. You know, he is the ultimate, you know, uh, ruler, authority, king. And he's going to give his keys, his authority to his prime minister, which is Peter and their successors. The keys symbolically are passed on under the authority of Christ to kind of govern the church. I mean, one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible was in 2 Samuel 7, where basically David is told that, that you know, you will have a kingdom that will never end. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be the king, but there's always going to be someone, in a sense, on the throne. So obviously the popes don't look at themselves as like these great kings, but they're always they're they're always going to be governing and guiding as the prime minister of right. the church and their servants. You know, as as you said, when uh, when everyone heard our Lord say to Peter, "These are, you know, get the keys to the kingdom," that meant something to them. It meant just like when David would give the keys to someone, he said, "Whatever you unlock will be open. Whatever you lock will be closed." 
But that person wasn't the king. Mm -hmm. He was the servant. Yeah. He was the servant who was leading in the stead of the king. Yeah, and the gift really is, um, you know, the, these these kingdoms. I mean, if you read the book of Daniel, it's not talked about that much, it seems like. It should be because there's prophecies of this, you know, everlasting kingdom that's going to come, you know, that take place. And it even mentions this rock, which I think is fabulous because Peter's name means rock. You are rock, and upon this I will build my church. This rock comes and strikes this statue and then from that rock forges this everlasting eternal kingdom. And so we believe that, you know, the church on earth is in mystery. It's not fullness yet. You know, it's it's on, on the road, but it's like this is the kingdom of Christ. Christ the king, the church is kingdom. And he promised, I'll be with you all days till the end of the world. And so that's the promise despite sinfulness, weakness, stupidity, brokenness of, 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 of all, all the individuals in it. You know, we're part of this one body of Christ. And then I love it about that we've got, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Our Lady at the, you know, at the Annunciation, this is the incarnation. Again, the invisible God is made visible. But then you think, you, you kind of fast forward when the Holy Spirit comes upon Our Lady and the Apostles that now we've got the birthday, the conception, so to speak, of the church at Pentecost, and this church is, is still around. I mean, just to kind of conclude, you know, C.S. Or, um, Peter Crafton has talked seven reasons to be Catholic. He said that C.S. Lewis's Lord liar or lunatic about Jesus is very powerful and very simple, and then one day I realized that a similar argument applies to the Catholic church. So if the Catholic Church isn't what she says that she is, I mean, we believe that priests have been given the authority of Christ to transform bread and wine in the body and blood of Christ. They can forgive sins. They, they speak with authority like, thus saith the Lord. I mean, if that is not true, then we should be uh, vilified. And in sure. fact, we are in many places. Man, but I mean, this is the gift, is that we believe that we accept, just like we say Christ is Lord, we believe that the church is his reflection, his mystical body, his continuation of the incarnation throughout time. And then what a gift to be a part of that. Yeah, right. And a miracle. You know, think of an organization that lasts 10 years or 100 years. We're around for 2,000 years, just about. <laughs> that is a miracle in itself. <laughs> yeah. Absolute miracle in itself. Well, just to make one more closing thought here, uh, the Catechism number 760. Th th this is beautiful. It says, Christians of the first centuries said, the world was created for the sake of the church. God created the world for the sake of communion with his divine life, a communion brought about by the convocation of men in Christ. And this convocation is the church. Just as God's will is creation and is called the world, so his intention is the salvation of men, and it is called the church. So what a gift. We've it got this universal gift. family of God that is a sign of the living God. As you were talking today, I thought of one thing. You said, who, who <laughs> might have been confronted with Christ and his, and his person, right? And I think of Pilate. One of the famous sayings of Pilate is, uh, what is quies, truth? Quies veritas. Uh -huh. What is truth? Mm -hmm. This is truth. Christ is truth. Christ is the standard. He is the ultimate truth. Please go out, invite other people to come to this truth. 
You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.